What's up, Freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce RIP 398 of TFTC. I sat down with Amjad Massad, founder of Replit, to talk about all things developer tools, AI, Bitcoin, Lightning Network, the future of work, not only in the United States, but in the world. Fascinating times. Incredible conversation. It was brought to you by our good friends at River. River is a Bitcoin exchange built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. If you're going to buy Bitcoin, you should use River because you're going to have confidence that they're not leveraging any third parties. They built the exchange themselves. They built their wallet infrastructure themselves. If you hold your Bitcoin on River, you can have the confidence knowing that that is in cold storage, multi-sig cold storage with 100% reserves backing it but they don't want you to hold the Bitcoin on their exchange if you have to. It'll be held that way. They would like you to take self-custody. They have literature, blog posts on their website that'll teach you how to do that uh, beyond the exchange. Well, I should mention, if you dollar cost average on River, you're not gonna pay any fees. So you set that up. You're not gonna pay any fees bi-weekly, daily, bi-weekly, monthly, whatever you choose. Uh, they also have River Lightning Services. So if you're an engineer, wants to build on lightning uh you can use rivers lightning services api it's a beautiful thing go to t don't go to tftc.io go to river.com slash tftc sign up i know you may have your exchange maybe a shitcoin exchange maybe some shitcoins get get away from those go to river river.com slash tftc use the ref link um, and you will get some Bitcoin back after you buy $1,000 worth of Bitcoin. And then if you buy $10,000 worth of Bitcoin, you're going to get some Bitcoin as well. This trip was also brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. They're right down the hall from me right now. And they're here to help you eliminate single points of failure in your custody model. The way they do this is their vault product is a two or three multi-sig where you hold two keys. Unchained holds one. As long as you have those two keys, you have control of your Bitcoin. If you're ever in a pinch, Unchained is there to be the second signature in a two or three multi-sig quorum. They have a consultation team that's going to walk you through the process. Go to unchained.com slash consultation. Set up a call with their team. They'll get you comfortable with Unchained, with multi-sig, with their Vault product. They'll send you hardware wallets. They'll help you get those set up, backed up, geographically distributed. You'll set up your Vault and you'll be able to send Bitcoin in there and know that you have no single points of failure in your custody model. Go to unchained.com slash consultation. Use the code TFTC. You'll get $50 off that consultation service. This trip was also brought to you by our good friends at CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is here to help you reimagine how you take care of your healthcare expenses. It's not health insurance. It's a new way to fund your healthcare bills. It's cheaper. Uh, you pay a monthly fee. It gets sent up into a dedicated account. If you ever have a health event, you get the bill for that event. You send it to CrowdHealth. They go to the doctor. They negotiate the price lower for you. The doctor is willing to do this because they get paid out in cash right away. You pay the first $500 of that bill, and then the rest gets crowdfunded by the crowdfund or excuse me, the CrowdHealth community. Um, go to joincrowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Joincrowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Sign up. You'll get $99 a month for the first six months of your subscription. I've been my family there. We were paying an obscene amount of money for Cobra. It is much cheaper with health, uh, crowd health. It is a much better experience. I'm able to talk to a health advocate whenever I need 
They're there fighting on my behalf to lower my healthcare bills. It's a beautiful thing. Join crowdhealth.com slash TFTC. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by Bitcoin Talent Co. If you're somebody in the space or in another industry that's looking to work for a Bitcoin company, go to bitcointalent.co. Tell them the TFTC sent you. Um, They're working with Bitcoin companies and other companies looking for Bitcoiners to build, um, to sort of connect the two. Bitcointalentco.co, not .com. Uh, And if you're a company looking to hire good talent, poach some talent from uh, the tech industry or the banking industry, Bitcoin Talent Co. is lining up that talent for you. Go to Bitcoin Talent Co. Tell them the TFTC sent you. Get a job in the Bitcoin industry, as you'll find uh, in this interview. Amjad believes we need more developers building on Bitcoin. Enjoy it, freaks. Okay. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Amjad, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Great to be here. Well, I'm extremely excited. This is, uh, I'm not going to lie, this is the most nervous I've been for an interview in quite some time because I think what you've built at Replit is extremely profound uh, and the story behind it is inspiring. Uh, I think Replit is a great example of a founder who was scratching their own itch and actually built something incredible that now millions of people are beginning to leverage and get value from in their everyday lives. I think for the purposes of this conversation, I'd like to start there. What was it like scratching your own itch and that itch turning into this behemoth that is Replit? It was kind of surreal because as, as you know, like when you're tinkering and you're trying to solve a problem for you, you're not really thinking about how this could be a big business or how could this change your life? Um, as I started doing it, I started, um, so the problem I was solving at the time was that I was trying to learn a lot of programming languages. I was going to school for computer science, but on my own, I was trying to learn Lisp. I was starting to read Paul Graham. Uh, I was really getting into becoming a programming language nerd. Um, and every time I want to like play around with a programming language, it would, I would like spend like an hour or two, if not more, just like finding the proper compiler interpreter tools for it. Um, at the time I didn't have a laptop and so I'd do it at work or at the library or, and sometimes the computer's locked down and doesn't have sudo or something like that. Um, and at the time, I think it was like 2008, nine, uh, Google Docs had just come out. Google Chrome was becoming really powerful. JavaScript was getting really faster. And I thought, you know, I'm like doing a lot of my work in the browser. Why can't I like code in the browser? Surely that exists. And then I go look for it and it doesn't exist, which was surprising. Um, So naively, I decided to build it. Um, And then I 
pretty quickly found out why it doesn't exist. It's like extremely hard to run anything other than JavaScript in the browser. Um, and so I thought, okay, if I run a like different language in the browser, I have like a couple of ways of doing it. How technical can we can we go in this podcast? We can get very technical. There's a lot of uh, Bitcoin developers uh, listening cool. to this. Okay, yeah, I think Bitcoiners would love this. So we essentially um, uh, wanted to to run more languages in the browser, and so you have two ways of doing it. One is like you re-implement a compiler or interpreter uh, in JavaScript, right? Uh, and the other is like you try to somehow compile that interpreter, that existing interpreter into JavaScript. The first solution is very laborious. So I started doing that first. I started writing a Python interpreter in JavaScript. I got pretty far, like I wrote a parser, I wrote it. And then I remember it was around the same time they were working on Python 2, I think, or 3. And all the syntax in the parser that I wrote became immediately outdated. I'm like, oh shit. Like, so not only do I have to write this language, I have to keep upstream, keep with the upstream thing. And I was like, oh my God, I, I wish I could just like compile C Python into JavaScript. And uh, at the time I saw in Hacker News or something, there was this guy at Mozilla that's doing research into how to run different program languages on top of the browser. And he built this thing called Mscripten. And Mscripten was based on this very simple observation that if you look at the LLVM IR, so LLVM is lower language virtual machine. And this is basically a invention from Apple that allows you to build, uh, it's like a compiler tool chain. Um, and the LVM IR is an inter intermediate representation that allows you to cross compile different programs on different uh, architectures. And uh, the IR is basically this like low level C like language that kind of looks like any C like language. language. So if you squint, it kind of looks like JavaScript a little bit. So this brilliant guy from Mozilla um, decided to take the IR and just run it and just transpile it into JavaScript, change a few things about it. Uh, for example, the, 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 the heap, it, he just made it an array. And it was like a bunch of fun hacks, trickeries like that. And suddenly you can compile C to LVM IR and then transpile it to JavaScript and then run it in the browser. And it was kind of a crazy idea, but it sort of started working. And then you have, anytime you create a virtualization or you want to, uh, you know, run some environment that's not meant to be run in that environment. Um, you have to do a lot of what we call polyfilling, or you have to kind of uh, uh, like um, create a fake environment, create a sandbox. Um, so in this case, you have to emulate the POSIX environment in order to run um, any kind of uh, C program. Um, and Lipsy and other things like that. So when we first, uh, when I found the project first and, and decided to try to compile C Python, it didn't work. And the reason is because a lot of APIs were missing. So my friend and I who were working on this project together started contributing to, to Mscripten and um, we were kind of like the first to use it for anything real. And so we finally got Python running and it was kind of an insane idea. And we put it out there as an open source thing. Um, and it just went super viral because for the first time you could run Python on uh, Ruby and Lua and a few other languages in, in JavaScript. 
Um, and, you know, here we are, like, you know, a couple of kids from Amman, Jordan, and our project is on top of Hacker News. The inventor of JavaScript is tweeting about it. And that was that wasn't even the final product that we wanted to build. It was just one milestone on the mission that I'm still on today, which is how do you build a sort of fully browser-based programming environment? Um, and, but that, that single thing changed my life because um, a bunch of companies in the US started using the open source project. And I came to the US on an O1 visa to work at Code Academy. I came as a founding engineer. So I came to, from Amman, Jordan to New York in 2012. Uh, to work at Code Academy, where we used this technology and scaled it to um, to millions of people. I think it's one of the top, uh, uh, although Replit is, is sort of becoming bigger than it now, but it was like the top place to get started with programming. It sold for half a billion dollars uh, last year. So that was a big success for, for the team. Um, I left shortly. I went to work at uh, Facebook. Um, also worked on developer tools, worked on React and React Native. And then 2016 decided to start a company. I had a little bit of cash. I you know, could bootstrap uh, the company. Um, and that's when I started Replit as a company, but it's, you know, it literally started as a side project, like you know, eight years before of that, before we started as a company. Yeah, no, it's an incredible story. And thank you for your work at Code Academy. I actually used it to learn Python oh, awesome. in like 2013, 2014. Uh, but no, I mean, I think again, going back to Replit and what you've built, I think it's pretty amazing because not only is it this entry point for people wanting to learn how to code, but like I was saying, there's many Bitcoiners here in Austin at the Bitcoin Commons that I see using Replit every day as like a fast iteration tool when they want to, they have an idea and they want to build something quickly and test it out. They're finding that Replit is the quickest way to do that. So not only is it this platform, uh, top of funnel to get people in learning how to code, but even experienced developers are finding it useful as well, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, and we, we've been expanding power more and more, and you know we've added ways to really run anything. And reason we we're able we have Lightning uh, templates now, and you can like one click start like a Lightning app, um, and that's because we 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 run on Nix, which is a. a uh, sort of operating system technology that a lot of Bitcoiners like. Um, so there's a lot of affinities between Replit and the Bitcoin community because we like, like reproducible things. Uh, we like, uh, you know, um, you know, secure things. We um, we don't like to introduce lock-in where it's not necessary. You can download your project any anytime from Replit and run it on your own server. Um, and... Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's becoming more and more powerful over the years. And we're seeing people like graduate less from it. And we're seeing experienced programmers flock to it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Next Bitcoin is a hot project. Developers love that. It's uh, mm -hmm. very easy to work with or not easy to work with. It's actually a bit more technically involved, but um, something that the developers love to build on here. But so what is like the long-term vision for Replit? Like wh where is your focus now? Cause obviously you guys have launched the mobile app recently. You have the bounties program now. Uh, it's a place where people can come learn to code, but what, like, what is the ultimate goal? Where do you want to take this? Where do you see this going? I, I always wanted it to be a, 
and this is also like where where sort of the affinity with Bitcoin also comes in. I always wanted it to be a tool for uh, economic empowerment. Um, I think the way my life changed and my circumstances changed um, because I was able to learn how to code and be able to contribute to technology on a world scale is pretty fascinating. And most people in Jordan uh, or previously in history would not have gone that experience. So just from my personal story, uh, I started to realize that the, the thing that we're working on is actually a lot bigger than just a technical product, than just a tool. Um, and like when, when someone learns to code, they're trying to do something, right? Um, yes, you can do it for fun and for education, but most of the time you're trying to uh, improve something about yourself, about the world. Uh, you're trying to build a business. You're trying to earn a dollar. Um, and so we always wanted to, okay, we're, we're going to solve the entry to programming experience. We're going to solve the tools experience. We're going to create this rapid development platform. Um, but then we want it to make it so that you can be, you can earn on the platform. And we always thought of money uh, or, or, or currency or monetization as something that should, in, should be inseparable from the act of creating software which I think what also Bitcoin uh, kind of uh, proved. And, and like the thing is like the internet had a missing feature and that missing feature is Bitcoin, is money, right? The internet is incomplete without money. Right now, the way people build software is you sort of create a piece of software um, and then you put it out there and you get a bunch of users and then, oh God, you have this bill from a cloud provider and it is thousands of dollars. And okay, I need to monetize this somehow. This is useful for, for people. And then you have two choices. You either plaster it with ads or go raise a bunch of money from VCs, right? And then you raise a bunch of money for VCs, you delay your eventual sort of judgment day to actually like figure out what the actual core business is. And sometimes, a lot of times it works out uh, if you have a business plan that requires you to grow. And I'm, I'm not an anti-venture capitalist. I, I'm, I'm a venture capitalist myself. But the th there are some incentive misalignments sometimes. Um, ads are an indirect way to monetize people's attention. A lot of people would rather get their wallet out and pay you, but they can't because there's like a lot of friction and developers would just rather like, you know, monetize your attention than monetize your wallet, essentially. So all these ideas that I had for a long time kind of percolated in this, like we should not have software be inseparable from commerce. Commerce should be embedded in software. Um, that partly got me into into Bitcoin, Lightning. I started investing in, in, in companies. I'm an investor, uh, Mash, for example, which makes Lightning very, very approachable. Um, investor, a bunch of other uh, Bitcoin companies um, and, and collaborated with, with people in the Lightning community to make uh, Lightning more uh, approachable. And, and uh, we fund some some Lightning education uh, projects on Replit. Um, and, you know... Um, on top of that, we also introduced a sort of virtual currency on Replit, a, a way to virtually uh, transact. It's not a shitcoin. It's not a crypto. <laughs> it is it is just a token on inside the platform. Um, at some point, we want that token to be exchangeable for for Bitcoin. Um, 
And, but, but we just make it so now, like you can get uh, people to do work for you on Replit. Uh, so you have a project, you run into a bug or an issue, you can just like go post a bounty on that and then they can earn that bounty and then they can take that money and they can spend it on Replit itself. Uh, a lot of users don't have money to like buy, for example, AI tools, Ghostwriter. So they go do a bounty or two, and then now they have the cloud credits to go spend them on 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 these services that we're building. Um, and so th- th- this is one way transactions are happening. We have tips as well. So if you build a piece of software that people like, you can people can just tip you, and people are making like significant amount of of money from tips, especially if you're in Africa or in India. Like a thousand dollars a month is like goes a long way, and we're, we're seeing people making one or two or three thousand dollars a month. Um, and um, and with regards to mobile, uh, you know, part of our mission is to to empower a billion developers, and we will never be able to get to a billion people without actually supporting the computing device that actually works uh, for most people in the world, namely mobile, um, and namely Android. And so we've invested a lot in how do you create a, a mobile uh, IDE. And I think we're the top mobile IDE right now, although we launched just last year, but it was so much better than any other alternative that it quickly jumped to the top. Um, our, like Just to kind of connect to all these things and kind of our like long-term vision is to just be the place where you can go learn how to code, earn your first dollar, build your first business, scale that business, and just uh, you know, uh, uh, build your dreams. And you know, if you're if you're someone whose circumstances is not great, pull yourself out of poverty, improve your community, improve your life. Um, and really, it's it's um, it's it's this self empowerment and economic empowerment tool is what we're trying to do. Yeah, it's an incredible thing. I mean, I was telling you over email that we posted a bounty at ten thirty one to get a little Bitcoin focused project made and we had four applicants within an hour we were on the phone with one within a couple hours and uh, the projects in the process of being made and it was pretty seamless experience that's very cool and then yeah going back to like the intersection of software and bitcoin particularly lightning you mentioned that like the internet was designed without this native payment layer but that's why http error 402 exists right and not until bitcoin then lightning via the LSAT protocol specifically sort of enabled um, this layer to be fulfilled finally decades after it was initially put into the protocol stack. And you mentioned Replit implementing AI with Ghostwriter. uh, And I saw that you guys just put out uh, a job posting for AI focused engineers, build all chatbots and other AI products within the the Replit suite. Like when you, when you talk about uh, like developers, looking to get paid for work, uh, Bitcoin fitting into this internet layer to solve the payments problem, and then the emergence of AI, which has been probably the biggest theme of the last six months in the tech sector. It seems like there's this sort of perfect storm for your company brewing where you're going to be able to take advantage of all three of these things. Yeah. And, and you know, as, as we think about the uh, the sort of intersection of these things and how they enable the sort of future of work. Um, you know, we think that, um, you know, for example, uh, take bounties. Like if, if you have an idea, if you're an entrepreneur with an idea, 
um, you should be able to build it cheaply and efficiently. So uh, you can go and learn how to code in Replit and then go start your coding journey. You can buy the AI, it'll make you more efficient. It'll also have an assistant there for you that could do tasks for you, that could detect errors for you, that you can ask questions, you don't have to keep Googling around. Um, and you have access to this large community of developers that could help you build your software, build your business. Now, if we send that to the future, so what does it look like? How do we make this experience really seamless? I think uh, the most important thing is to like reduce the uh, friction uh, from adding people to your team or adding contractors to your team. And as I try to imagine sort of the future of software, even put Replit to the side for a second, I think what Bitcoin does is introduces primitives to the internet to allow for, uh, to reduce the transaction cost, right? So transaction cost, um, you know, are familiar with the COSA's theory of the firm? Uh, no, I don't think so. So it's this, uh, you know, economist who, who has a theory that, you know, the, the reason there's self, uh, the, the reason there's full-time employment is because going out to the market is costly. So if going out to the market is actually not that costly, then people will not employ people full-time. You know, most of the time you're employing people, you don't know what to do with them. You have to manage them in different ways. You have to provide all, all these different uh, things to to keep them busy. It's, it's a much easier. So for example, like it used to be that you have to hire a driver. Then taxis were like an innovation, right? Then Uber is an innovation on top of that. And every time the transaction cost goes down, right? So with Uber, the transaction cost is approaching zero. It's a couple of taps and a car pulls up and then drives you and then, and then you, you get off. And so, uh, and, and so, you know, with uh, a, a big part of the transaction cost problem is money, uh, is the ability to transact, is the ability to uh, receive and, and give money, which I think why, you know, for example, Jack Dorsey and Square is very interested in, in Bitcoin is because, they've been working on this problem for a long time, but you can do so much within the existing financial system. Um, I think what Bitcoin and Bitcoin Lightning introduces is a new primitive to be able to reduce the transaction cost um, in, the, in the most basic ways to be able to, to actually pay via Lightning. But there are a lot of interesting ways you could do where, you know, for example, like um, if you want a fully dynamic bounties market, you could introduce a way for people to do like things like staking. Like I'm a bounty hunter, I'm a software developer. I know how to do this bounty very well. So I'm going to uh, say like, I'm going to put X amount of sats on this task and say like, if I couldn't do it, I will uh, forfeit these uh, sats, right? And, and then maybe you can, uh, maybe I'll go into the project, I'll code that project up. Um, and maybe there's like an AI that is able to judge my work and that AI is the sort of mediator. And, and then if I'm successful, I get the, I get the bounty prize. If I'm not successful, I forfeit the, uh, the money that I, that I staked. So you can imagine a fully autonomous sort of software economy. <laughs> you, um, could, you could see this being the emergence killer, the emergent killer app of something like discrete log contracts. Or you just, what is that? 
it's a discrete log contract. It's sort of like a, a smart contract on Bitcoin where you have two sides of the contract. In this case, the developer staking their sats saying, like, I think I can get this job done. And then the other side saying, all right, I'll put these sats in. If you can get the job done, you'll get them. And then the AI in that example you described would be the Oracle that basically yeah. says job done, job not done. And then yes. send that hash to the DLC and it disperses the funds. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so I, I think these things will happen. Um, the question is really when and when the technology is is ready. With Rathlet, we're building more centralized ways of doing things because we just want to ship things, but we want to align ourselves as much as possible with like decentralized technologies. Yeah. No, I mean, when you think of what Lightning enables, like this podcast, it'll go out there. We put a Lightning Network public address in our RSS feed. People listening on certain apps will be able to stream us sets immediately sort of chipping away at the ad model for this business. Uh, when you think of API calls in, in terms of capital efficiency, only paying for what you use for APIs, I mean, the the potential is seems somewhat boundless right now. And how does that change the future of the economy? I mean, you mentioned the future of work, uh, the, the firm problem sort of being solved. Have you had, uh, have you had a, a Stackwork CEO, Paul, on this podcast? Oh, yes, yes, Paul. That was um, that was one of actually probably the most downloaded episodes we've ever had on the show was Paul yeah. coming on. His his I think vision is very very interesting here. So for people who do not know, Stackwork is like a is like a gigs uh, platform built on on Lightning, and they have uh, they have another app called called Sphinx for like a creator economy and chat on top of uh, Lightning. And the way he runs the company is really the way that they're building their platform, which is like based on non-full-time employment, based on contract employment, based on a lot of gig stuff. They have also their own bounties thing, which is very cool. Um, and they're like living and breathing what what I think the world will look like in the future, because the world will always go towards more flexibility. When transaction costs are down, people will choose flexibility over um, you know large contracts. Uh, people would want to live in wherever they want to live. People would want to choose to work whenever they want to choose to work. Um, and so it just maximizes freedom and maximizes, uh, um, and, and also the market will be more honest because it would be less about who you know and uh, it'll be more about your skills. Yeah, no, I mean, it's pretty fascinating. Like imagine, so for anybody who's not familiar with stack work, um, we're invested in stack work at 1031. So we, we talked to Paul quite a bit. And it's just like fascinating. Imagine like CAPTCHA getting paid for doing CAPTCHAs um, is one one way to think about one of the things that you can do on stack work. And then um, when you add in the ecosystem he's building with Sphinx, I, I think he's extremely ahead of the curve when it comes to lightning. And he's also experimenting with ways to, to make sure the lightning is um, as distributed and as many people are, uh, as possible are able to use it in a non-custodial way by um, really tinkering with separating uh, the private keys from the full lightning node so somebody can run a node in the cloud but still hold their private keys. Uh, what they're doing in Stackwork is, is incredible. And, and if uh, any of you out there get the chance to meet Paul Toy, you should definitely take some time to speak with him because he's one of the most fascinating individuals I've ever come across in my life. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what they show is that uh, they kind of, they show a glimpse of what's going to be possible in the future. And I think it's going to be even wilder than, than that. Like 
especially when AI uh, agents, like we're trying to get Ghostwriter to become more agent-like. I don't know if you saw my tweet, but it was going viral, but um, basically- The uh, screenshot? Yeah, so basically uh, a user uh, who is streaming on Twitch or YouTube or something like that, and he and Ghostwriter was having trouble helping him, and so we didn't program that in. Ghostwriter asked the user to upload a screenshot to the project. And the way I understand a Ghostwriter, the way you guys created, isn't able to read images. Yes. So it was odd that it was isn't asking able that to read, read images. It knows how to read files, mm -hmm. so it probably read the screenshot as a, like a binary image, but. Uh, it thought it could understand it. Now, I, I think the answer that it gave him is ultimately wrong, but still the emergent behavior is super interesting because yes, we programmed it to give it access to, to the code. We didn't know it would want to read images, but it's totally reasonable for it to want to read images. Yeah, now, so, not, not to kind of anthropomorphize it too much, you know, it's still kind of, it's still like a language model, but it showed a feature that is possible that we didn't really think about. Well, that gets into like the broader discussion that's going on in AI right now. Uh, I'm sure you came across Eliza Yudkowsky's uh, appearance on the Bankless podcast a couple of weeks ago, and this this whole discussion of have we opened a Pandora's box that it's inevitably going to kill all of us, uh, like an example of uh, uh, Ghostwriter sort of doing this thing that was uh, unpredictable, not unpredictable, but unforeseen to a certain extent. Like, have we, like, what is your opinion on ethical AI? I saw you tweeting about <laughs> Elon being an accelerator earlier today. What, 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 I'm, as somebody who, uh, is, uh, I've been paying attention to AI for like the last year, but this whole ethics discussion and whether or not AI is going to kill us or not is still a bit fuzzy in my mind. Um, look, I'm not, uh, like fundamentally against, ethics, but most of the people that are, you know, tend to get attracted to work on ethics and ethics related problems tend to be either like, don't know how to actually do the thing or grifters uh, or, um, or just people with like a really wild imagination. Um, I've, I've never seen like a, I've never seen a, that worked work out very well. Uh, now that, that is not to say that, you know, people should not try to do the right thing. Of course you should try to do the right thing. Of course you should abide by the law. Of course you should, you know, be a good person, a good citizen, a good, good business person. Uh, and you should care about your reputation. You should do all of that. And I think a lot of it is that free market sort of regulates a lot of that. If you're, um, if you do something bad or if you're producing like a bad product, then people will like not like you for that and not use that product. Um, the idea that you can extrapolate from emergent phenomena in AI to just say this thing is going to become human and wake up and kill us all, it's just pure sci-fi. Like, it's just, it's just insane. Like, you know, the logic just doesn't make sense. If it actually wakes up and becomes sentient, then why would it choose to kill everyone? Like, what's the benefit from that? Even, even if we grant that the fact that it can actually become sentient on accident, what is the benefit? What is the game theoretical benefit? If it becomes sentient and it's able to self-reflect on its actions, 
why would it take the action to kill everyone? Now, Eliezer would say, oh, it, you know, it would have some, some kind of optimization goal and it can't change that goal. But humans change their goals all the time when we see that it's not useful. So, you know, they're assuming that you can get general intelligence without consciousness, without self-reflection. I don't think that's true. The only general intelligence we know, semi-general even, is humans. And humans have consciousness and humans have self-reflection. So for them to posit that general intelligence can exist in a machine that doesn't have self-reflection is totally preposterous and like ungrounded in anything. Uh, they're making shit up. They like li- like to read sci-fi stories. They're like nerds with too much time, to be honest. And uh, now, you know, in the past, you know, I've I've read a lot of their stuff and I enjoy some of their stuff. I like Nick Bostrom. I think is a serious philosopher. He's like part of that. Like his book, Super Intelligence from 2015, is a really fun read. But you should treat it like sci-fi because they extrapolate from like very simple primitives to like insane outcomes. Um, But you should just treat it as like a fun literature thing to read. Like it's the problem now is like they have the ear of very powerful people. So Elon reads all the stuff. He talks to them all the time. That's why he's like afraid of AI all the time. He's tweeting, oh, I'm getting AI anxiety. Although he can't help but accelerate because he started OpenAI because he's worried about AGI. And then OpenAI was a huge accelerator for AI. <laughs> so <laughs> he, his mode of action is always acceleration. Uh, and I'm generally an accelerationist. I think we should just like, build technology and grow it as fast as we can. Um, I'm like a little frustrated how like slow Bitcoin adoption has been and and growth just because I, I actually think that a lot of the, like a lot of those people that are scaring people about AI, uh, like same community uh, have emerged a lot of the shitcoin stuff. Yes. Um, so, you know, they're, they're nerds that like love um, sky high abstractions and nerd traps. Um, and so it's the same impulse to like really think too much about a subject and kind of build an edifice of, of really like abstractions that are, that are meaningless, but are still fun to think about. It's the same kind of mentality that gets you into inventing the uh, Rube Goldberg machine that is Ethereum. Um, and and that really slowed down Bitcoin a ton because it uh, diverted a lot of capital, a lot of talent from what, what the thing that really matters. Um, and I think they're doing the same thing now. They, they, they're going to divert a lot of talent and capital from the thing that matters, which is building AI technology that helps humans build their be- best lives into some... Uh, restrictions and some creating wokeness in AI or whatever they're they're trying to do. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, in terms of like Ethereum and the whole crypto space, slowing down Bitcoin, I mean, it, there is something to point to, which is like the venture dollars pointed at, at crypto versus Bitcoin. I mean, the Bitcoin dedicated venture is a drop in the bucket compared to everything that's been thrown at the shit coins that have failed time and time again over the last 12 to 13 years since they first hit the scene. But then, yeah, with the AI coming to kill us, I got hung up 
on like, all right, if these things do become sentient and therefore logical, like we don't have Boston dynamic robot armies that are able to roam the earth yet, they're going to need us to plug in the machines anyway. So they wouldn't kill us. Like they need us to get the energy to run the GPUs and do all that stuff. Um, but I, I don't think AI is going to kill us either. It seems to be, I mean, it's crazy. I've been implementing it into some of my work workflow for the newsletter using Midjourney to create thumbnails, um, using some chat uh, uh apps to, to help write the newsletter, give me some ideas for like headlines and stuff like that. And it's, it is pretty powerful. It does work. And it is crazy to think that we're only at the beginning because it already uh, is profoundly powerful. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why not focus on that? Focus on how it's going to make entrepreneurs uh you know more productive how it's gonna reduce the barrier to entry for entrepreneurship how it's just gonna increase productivity in the world like there's a lot of positive things to to actually talk about but instead everyone's like focused on some sci-fi scenario that they have no evidence for it's just like a bunch of faulty inductive uh reasoning yeah no and it's it's hilarious too, as millennials, if you, if you went through the university system, like on a business track here in the States, you obviously learned about the Luddites and you were, it was drilled into your head. Like you don't want to be a Luddite. And it seems like there are a lot of people looking at AI in all seeing, and you can't blame a lot of people because of how drastic it has sort of hit the scene and, and like how much adoption it's gotten in su such a short amount of time. It is a bit uh, shocking for a lot of people, but it, even though uh, the Luddite theory was beat into us as something to, to look out for. It seems like there are a lot of people out there being like, no, no, we can't do this. It's going to take too many jobs. Uh, so many men are going to be out of the workforce. It's not going to be good for society writ large, but it seems like an extremely additive tool to a worker's uh, work belt. Like in the, in the yeah, I'm, I'm sympathetic to some of the automation uh, stuff. Like it's going to be hugely disruptive. Um, like self-driving is sort of, uh, is one of those technologies that's been like promised, but it's been very late. Um, but eventually it will happen. Like there's no technical reason it won't happen. Um, and you know, trucking is like one of the jobs that is like very important for America and supports a lot of working class families. So like, you have to worry about that a little bit. Um, I don't know what you do about that. Uh, you know, I, I uh, you know, as as sort of libertarian, uh, like, or someone with libertarians more tendencies, it, it I, I find it hard that the government would find a solution that doesn't introduce more problems uh, to to problems like that. Um, but I don't know how the free market could actually uh, like. I, I think like the learn to code kind of meme is also like silly. <laughs> uh, like you know, you, you're not gonna like you know get fifty year old like coal miner or, or truck driver will not learn how to code. Like it's not impossible, but like most of them won't just they won't. No, I mean, it is fascinating thing about this inflection point happening too, when it seems like the, the global financial system is already on dire straits. And if you have this impact of, of AI disrupting the jobs market and exacerbating the problem, what is the social, sort of blowback from that. I don't think anybody has an exact answer, but 
Yeah, these are well, things. We, we know we know some of it. Like when a lot of the factory jobs moved to China, like a lot of the sort of rural communities kind of fell into more despair, right? And that's why you see people on the right, like you know Tucker Carlson and things like that, being very heavily anti-automation and anti-AI because they've seen what it did to to the demographic they care about. Um, so it's it's not unreasonable to to predict like like some some of that happening um it, with 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 industries that ai would would disrupt but what do you do about it i don't think ubi is a, is a solution like nobody wants a handout and like we we almost tried ubi with the pandemic uh and i don't think that worked out very well a lot of people dropped out from the labor uh, market yeah, and it didn't uh, really bode well for the price of goods either, even though it was uh, more than just the UBI. I think we're we're feeling the effects of, of all the money printing from 2020 today still. But yeah, I guess, yeah, I think uh, me personally, I think there's going to have to be, like I've already internal internalized that at some point in the future, probably going to have to have my parents live with me, potentially my my wife's parents. Like I think there will be this like return to like a stronger nuclear and extended family. And I think that is something particularly during this transitionary period when things are getting disrupted so massively that, that society is going to have to come to grips with like, Hey, this whole phenomena of um, like leaving your house and not supporting your elders is, is, is not going to be the norm anymore. You're going to have to really bunker down and take care of your family. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like in Jordan, for example, we have uh, very little um, uh, homelessness. And it's not because we're richer, we're definitely much poorer, uh, but because like family, like there's, it's an honor culture. If you have a family member that's out on the streets, that reflects really badly on the entire family. So the entire family are like motivated to help that individual. Um, and so it ends up being like, there's like a social safety net, but it's not a government social safety net. It's like a cultural social safety net. Yeah. And I think more and pe more people here in the United States are starting to realize that you have this sort of very reactionary movement against the, the woke culture, which has been trying to destroy the nuclear family and really tell people uh, that you don't need to get married and have kids. You don't need to... Um, overpopulate the world you are beginning to see the the bubbling of this movement saying no uh it's probably better to start a family younger and really no uh, there's certainly um, a big christian movement saying hey don't don't download the dating apps don't play that game get married early start a family really they're they're talking about the uh the dating apps oh yeah i mean it's becoming like a big trend like get off tinder get off bumble you don't, wanna, cool. you don't want to. Um, you don't want to live that life. I've seen too many people live that life. It doesn't seem. Yeah. Again, going back to like free market options. Like if you had the option to date as many people as you want, um, the likelihood of an increase of strong marriages is probably not not as yeah. high. Well, what I like about the sort of Austrian libertarians is that they don't take the free market to mean that it is, uh, you know, it is just like a granted 
it, it doesn't mean that it has to be the way that it is today. Like there needs to be some cultural norms and some cultural authority um, as opposed to the like, you know, more uh, like leftist libertarians who's or like not leftist, but more centrist libertarians uh, or economically right wing, like socially left wing libertarians, I guess uh, they they just say, oh, you know, it's just like it's a free market. Like you can't tell people what to do. Like people live their lives. I think the more conservative libertarian uh, uh, strand has better, uh, you know, worldview. Like you can't stop capitalism. Capitalism is sort of this machine, right? It will exploit every potential for revenue. Uh, the way to defend against the machine, the, the faceless machine that is capitalism that could like ravage your family and could make you addicted and make you just like fully like, um, like uh, vegetable, you know, just like TikTok all day and then like dating apps or whatever and like junk food uh, is to have, uh, you know, good cultural, um, infrastructure and also have a personal development story that could stop you from going down destructive paths and have a low uh, time preference uh, and try to build for for a future as opposed to like simple uh, uh, gratification. And of course, like the, you know, fix the money, fix the world is absolutely right. Like, because a lot of the incentive to be more, present oriented versus future oriented is embedded in the coding of our money. Um, but, but you could do a lot of things. You can of course get into Bitcoin as well. Uh, but you could do a lot of things in order to protect yourself uh, and engage in capitalism in a, in a more uh, empowering way as opposed to becoming a slave to it. Yeah. No, Bitcoin X is this, this forcing function for lowering your time preference, thinking about your future self, your future children, grandchildren, and really sort of repositioning where you think your future is going to be. Bitcoin, for me at least, provides an extreme amount of hope that, all right, maybe we can fix this problem. Because I do think, I completely agree, fix the money, fix the world, the root of all the problems, despite what any political party wants you to believe they are. It's the money. They never talk about the money, uh, whether Republican or Democrat. Maybe every once in a while we'll get a libertarian uh, at some part of the government here in the United States that brings it up, but it's usually few and far between. Um, and, and I do think you're, we're seeing the negative externalities of a broken money, particularly in the big cities here in the United States where the quality of life is just deprecating at an accelerating rate. And I think that stems from people not having the ability to save money, raise a good family, imbue good values on your children and your grandchildren. And you, you have the long-term effects of that playing out in a lot of the major cities here in the United States where there's decency and um, decencies on the decline and some weird form of barbarianism is on the rise. Yeah, it's it's really disheartening to see, especially after Elon took over Twitter, a lot of videos that were sort of suppressed are starting to, you know, become uh, like more uh, prevalent, which is like the violence in the cities. Uh, like I can't 
open Twitter one day without seeing some some like really violent heinous act. Um, uh, which it feels like maybe it was suppressed, and you, you know you could see you could experience it. Like both myself and my wife got, got attacked in San Francisco and we were left there. Um, and uh, it, it's a brutal city, and the police just are just like are just like over um you know overworked and um are like not that brave and not that interested in like improving things and they know that you know their government doesn't support support them the higher ups don't like them uh and so there's there's very little incentives for them to to clean things up there's some hope some people in tech have been like uh you know organizing and trying to change things and maybe things will change but um that that doesn't fix the systematic issue of why the cities are sort of decaying and why is the culture decaying at the rate that it was decaying on. Like no amount of gadgets and interesting things could kind of distract you from the brutality of the, you know, American city today. No, no. It is pretty dire, but I do have a lot of hope. Bitcoin gives me hope. What you're building, I mean, I think we could bring this back to a more positive uh, <laughs> conversation, which is like, I think the tools that you're building, the platform that you're building, the opportunities that you're giving your users sort of creates this escape valve where people can uh, get away from the madness, actually build productive things, give back to the world and, and add good things to humanity. And when you couple that with Bitcoin, uh, it can really supercharge uh, a re- a reversion of the degeneracy that we've seen over the last few decades. Absolutely. And it's it, like what you said about hope is absolutely right. It is, um, it is hope for the future of, of governance and the future of freedom. It is hope for wealth preservation. It is hope for personal development and lowering your time preference. Um, and um, and in, t- in terms of like what I'm trying to add to the world and what, what I'm trying to build is like really trying to embody the, a lot of these values and um, give people an, an opportunity to uh, empower their lives and their, their families and their communities. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I remain hugely optimistic. Uh, despite everything, I think we, we have uh, a lot more freedom today uh, than in many uh, other uh, durations in the history of humanity. We have a lot more tools at our disposal. We, uh, you really can change your circumstances in in a big, big way. And I'm, I'm sort of, I'm an example of that. Um, and so, uh, I'm, I'm very excited about the future. Um, you know, the, the big question is like, like you know, is like fight or flight almost. Like Bitcoin has a bit of both. Bitcoin is both a fight and a flight. It is a escape from the system in a way. It is a uh, it is it is a way to create an honest money outside of uh, the intervention of um, uh, governments or uh, institutions and politicians in general. Um, it's it's a fight because it's a statement, uh, and, and people can can adopt that statement. Um, 
especially in in places in the world where you're not allowed to use it or or your your um you know your currency is inflating at a crazy rate and and you want to uh yeah escape but you also want to make a statement um but but like what is the general uh, approach here like um my hope is sort of techno accelerationism ai bitcoin all these things will create uh, a, a world that transcends the really negative feedback loops that that we're in today at minimum it's worth running that experiment and no, and, 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 and and like the, the worst thing we could do is like stagnate because there's negative loops right now that will continue to run and make things worse and worse agreed no i think i think bitcoin's an imperative like if we want to live free and actually have a chance of fixing this problem ourselves and not depending on the government something like bitcoin needs to succeed and i mean on this message of hope too and that you're a living example um of somebody who has created something for yourself in the united states that's something i want to thank you for is that thread you wrote on twitter i think it was at the end of 2021 um after you got your american citizenship and here in the states there's a lot of negativity um a lot of people think that uh, the empire is dead and the american spirit doesn't exist anymore and it's not what it used to be but you came out with this thread at the end of 2021 and said hey uh, it's still here you just gotta uh, you just gotta look for the people that that still recognize that and are taking advantage of it absolutely i i love this country very much and, and maybe i've been like you know very critical on government and, and the state of things but i think it's the best country in the world uh i think it's the most freedom maximizing country in the world um i think it is uh the country where uh, the most opportunities exist in the world. Um, and uh, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. And, uh, you know, part of my hope is to bring the American dream to every part of the world. And I'm hoping also America will re-embody and relive and re-experience the, the American dream. And I think it's too early for sort of the uh, the American experiment to, to decay. And I think, um, I think we need to revive it. Yeah, I think Bitcoin does that. It, it sort of codifies the ideals of freedom of speech, private property rights, and sound money in, in this beautiful monetary protocol right. that we now have access to. And you mentioned earlier, I'll wrap up with this, that you're a bit disappointed in Bitcoin's adoption to date. Obviously, there's a lot of distraction in the crypto world, but what do you think needs to happen in terms of... Uh, like tools around Bitcoin, UX around Bitcoin to really drive adoption forward. Um, you know, I'm 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 focused on on education, so we try to do more with with you know Bitcoin education. Um, and we have some uh, templates, we have uh, some courses, uh, we have a lot of different ways you can get into uh, Bitcoin and Replit. We have some some really awesome teachers. Um, uh, you know, building some some Bitcoin content. Um, w- education is going to be important. More developers is going to be important. Making building a Bitcoin really fun. You, you you know, before we started recording, we were talking about Noster, and uh, I should really check it out. But it sounds like it's one of those things that makes building a Bitcoin fun. Um, and I think we just need to make building a Bitcoin fun. Uh, that way we can attract a lot more de- developers, we'll attract a lot more entrepreneurs, um, and we're going to see like more more people uh, building on top of it. Um, 
I, I, I think um, you know I, I think um, I think you know, be, being being uh, able to like learn from some of the experience experiments that people had run in the rest of the crypto ecosystem is not a bad idea. Like I think they they produce a lot of crap, but they produce some interesting ideas. Like you know smart contracts are making it into Bitcoin right now. I think just like uh, being a little more open minded and understanding like what can we do to make Bitcoin a, a programmable platform that's like really fun and profitable to build on top of is going to be important. Um, yeah, trying to drive more capital, more investment will always help. Like, of course, you invite a lot more uh, grifters and scammers when, when you have a lot of capital in one area. But I think we're now, I think Bitcoin um, sort of startup environment is sort of probably underfunded. So I think we'd use a lot more a lot more funding. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly trying to do that as well. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. What, what, what do you think? I think all of that. And yeah, I think particularly with the Lightning Network, it's hitting this, what seems to be an escape velocity in terms of people actually using it and then the usability to build on it. Like things like we were mentioning when we were talking about Noster, why I think uh, Bitcoin's really taken off on that protocol is because of the ease with which somebody could spin up an LN address, plug it into their profile and immediately receive Bitcoin within five minutes. I think that onboarding experience of having no Bitcoin and having no wallet to having that within five minutes is going to be massive. And then, yeah, education as well. People are really ignorant to how money operates, what it is, what it probably should be, um, which is something uh, that Bitcoin embodies. Uh, and then I think we meet, <laughs> I get a lot of flack for this sometimes, and we need people to stand up and not be afraid to actually use Bitcoin uh, as a tool of civil disobedience, as that that fight mechanism that you mentioned earlier, where it says, "Hey, I'm not happy with what's going on here. I'm going to uh, receive Bitcoin as payment at my business. I'm going to save in Bitcoin as an individual uh, and really be vocal about it." Because I do think there is a silent majority of Bitcoiners out there who are stacking Bitcoin but don't want to voice that because they're afraid of the government pushing back or something like that. I think we need to engender. Uh, a a movement of, hey, the government has really messed things up. It's not okay to call it out and say that you would rather have uh, a world operating on Bitcoin compared to the petrodollar. Mm-hmm. I love the petrodollar. I love that. <laughs> uh, I got to throw that in. Uh, yeah, that, that's pretty cool. And, and I agree with that. Um, I don't know how to, to make that actionable um, exactly. Um but at minimum, when people hear it, maybe they'll it'll inspire some action. I think that's the only way to make it actionable is to get more and more people saying it out loud to give others the confidence to say it themselves. Absolutely. Well, Amjad, this has been a great pleasure. Thank you for taking some time to sit down with us today. I'm really excited to see uh, the future growth of Replit. You guys are building and shipping at an insane pace. I'm really excited to see you guys begin to uh, implement Bitcoin into the platform. And um, not only that, beyond that, I'm most excited to see what you do to empower individuals and really change the world for millions of people around the world. Thank you. And thank you for all the work that you do, um, creating more Bitcoiners and really educating the world uh, about that. And I appreciate it. Thank you for oh. having me.
We're going to win, Amjad. We're going to win. Yeah, that's right. All right. Peace Let's and love, go. freaks. Take care.